Hello everyone, welcome to the Memorial Heights Baptist Church Podcast. Here you'll find archived all of our previous messages dating back to late 2020. Our hope is that today's message would be encouraging to your walk with Christ. We also want to thank you for spending time listening today and encourage you to share these messages with a friend so they too might hear the Word of God. But for now, grab your Bible, open your ears, and let's get to it. Revelation chapter 8, Revelation chapter 8. What happens when we ignore the warnings? The warnings on the label, the warnings that are posted on the road. Bridge out. What happens when we ignore the warnings? What happens when we ignore the warnings of heart disease or a stroke? What happens when we ignore the warnings that a hurricane is coming or some other disaster D.L. Moody recorded in his anecdotes. I'm going to read a quote from him. D.L. Moody wrote, I was in the north of England in 1881 when a fearful storm swept over that part of the country. A friend of mine who was a minister at Evemouth had a great many of the fishermen of the place in his congregation. It had been very stormy weather and the fishermen had been detained in the harbor for a week. One day, however, the sun shone out in a clear blue sky. It seemed as if the storm had passed away and the boats started out for the fishing ground. Forty-one boats left the harbor that day. Before they started, the harbor master hoisted the storm signal and warned them of the coming tempest. He begged of them not to go. But they disregarded his warning and went Away they went. They saw no sign of the coming storm. In a few hours, however, it swept down the coast, and a very few of those fishermen returned. There were five or six men in each boat, and nearly all were lost in that dreadful gale. In the church, of which my friend was pastor, I believe there were three male members left. Those men were ushered into eternity, because they did not give heed to the warning. I lift up the storm signal now and warn you to escape from the coming judgment. Friend, I'm here today with this message not because it is pleasant to think about the judgments that are coming, but because they are coming. And if you do not know Christ as your Savior... They could be coming for you. We need to be prepared for what is coming. Oh, you may not see the storm. You may think that the sky looks like a good day for a sail. But I promise you, when judgment comes, it will come swiftly. It will come suddenly. It will come certainly And you don't want to be left behind when it does come. Now, as we go into Revelation chapter 8 again today, let me remind you that in chapter 6, we've already talked about the breaking of the seals of judgment. Judgment beginning in those first four seals. The earth, by the time we get to Revelation chapter 8, has already endured tremendous turmoil and upheaval the arrival of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the conqueror who I and many believe is the Antichrist being revealed who is going to begin as a little horn but will ascend into great power. And with him comes the berserker who will drive men into murder against one another. The trafficker which will control world economy, we're already seeing the ripples of that. We're already seeing 
all of those things beginning to be put into place, the push towards digital currency so that the government will know every transaction that you engage in and what you got and what you have. And if you get something that you shouldn't have, they'll just take it right back away. And of course, with that, with complete and total control over the world economy comes great famine, comes great death, comes great theft and war. And so we see along with the the conqueror, berserker and trafficker, the coming of the reaper who himself is accompanied by the warder. The reaper is death and Hades. The warder comes with him. The earth will see a reaping of souls, the rise of the Antichrist. The global kingdom putting in, put, being put in place, the economy of the kingdom being established, bloody conflict, famine, disease, apparent deadly war with the animal kingdom, which is spoken of. Either literal animals or de- demonic forces pictured as animals, or what I believe uh, John is describing is the demonic possession of the animal kingdom, or the at least the demonic antagonization of the animal kingdom, which will turn on uh, humanity in a way that has never happened before, resulting in, Revelation 6 tells us, the death of one-fourth of the world's population. We're talking about not just millions. We're talking death tolls in the billions, and we're just getting started. But as the Antichrist solidifies his power, the fifth seal will be broken, which will reveal the mass martyrdom of those who trust in Christ after the rapture, those who trust in Christ but are not part of the church and do not have the authority, the protection, the blessing, the promises that we have and will be murdered, many of them, by the masses under the bloody reign of the beast. And then comes the breaking of the sixth seal, a massive mountain-moving earthquake which will shake the entire planet. Stars falling from the sky, which are likely uh, references to angels uh, coming down to the earth in judgment or in punishment for their sins, fallen angels uh, very likely. And the final harbinger of the day of the Lord will lock into place, which is what Joel had prophesied will happen right before the day of the Lord begins. The sun being darkened, the moon turning to blood. Followed by a short time of silence in heaven, a break in the storm. And the world will no doubt think that they have weathered the worst of it. And now they can go on to their glorious future under the man of sin. But the storm has not yet really started. The true storm, the day of the Lord, has only now begun. And as we see in Revelation 8, verse 2 says, I saw the seven angels which stood before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer and there was given unto him much incense that he should offer it up with the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer, filled it with fire of the altar and cast it into the earth. And there were voices and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And the seven angels which had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. Now these seven angels are, we're told, the seven angels which stood before God. The definite article, the, is very significant in Greek, probably even more so than in English. We talk about the book. Uh, I I hope when somebody talks about the book, you know we're talking about this book. This is the book. Now, maybe you're having a conversation where you say to your uh, uh, wife or you say to your husband, can you please hand me the book? And you say, which book? The book. The book that's right there. You're, You're talking about something specific. You're talking about something that you expect them to know what you're talking about. And when we see the, def- the, the definite article, T-H-E, the, in Scripture, we're talking about something that the reader 
is expected to have understanding of or or it's pointing back to something that has already been revealed. And so the seven angels before the throne could be no other in context than the seven spirits which are before the throne. The word spirit being just another term for the angels. The angels were told are ministering spirits in the book of Hebrews. And so uh, unfortunately, uh, there are many who, because of uh, a translation choice and really a spelling choice, believe that the seven spirits before the throne are representative of the one Holy Spirit. And I've already gone through uh, why that is not the case in, in earlier in this study. The seven angels are the seven spirits. And that's significant because if you look back in Revelation chapter 1, uh, Revelation chapter 1, you'll see that these seven spirits or these seven angels are also identified there. The Revelation verse 1 of this book of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants the things which must shortly come to pass. He sent and signified it by his angel unto John. And then he goes on in verse 4 to say, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, Grace be unto you and peace from him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. So these seven angels are part of the uh, the ones delivering the message. In other words, they want you to be prepared for the judgment that they are beginning to bring here at the beginning of the day of the Lord. They don't want you to be here when these trumpets begin to sound. This is not the sound of the trumpet that you want to hear. These angels are bringing trumpets of great judgment. Now, we're going to talk this morning. We're not going to cover all of the trumpets today. I just want to tell you ahead of time because this this is so significant in God's plan for the future that this is not um, going to even be able to fit into one chapter, let alone one message. We'll cover as much of this as we are able to this morning, but we will come back and talk about this the next time we're together in the book of Revelation. Seven trumpets of judgment, three woes of warning here in chapters 8 and 9 and following. Three trumpets of judgment. Seven trumpets of judgment, excuse me, three woes of warning. Now, let me talk just very briefly about the significance of trumpets in Scripture. I'm going to turn back to Exodus chapter 19. You may want to join me in Exodus chapter 19. And I want to show you one of the most significant events, not only in Israel's history, but in human history, as we see that trumpets were tied to the very voice of God in the giving of the law of Moses. And part of the law of Moses was the giving of the high holy days, the the seven feast days that are called the Mohadin in Hebrew, which are divine appointments that times uh, seven times every year where God says, I will meet with my nation, my people, Israel. And so we're not going to we don't have time to unpack all of that today either. But I want to show you just a few verses in Exodus chapter 19 as as the people of Israel have come to Mount Sinai and as Moses is the intercessor, as he is the one who's going to stand between the people and God and God is going to give him the law. Uh, Listen to what Moses records about this event. God's speaking to him and God is telling him in verse 13, there shall Not a hand touch it, touch the mountain of of God, but he shall surely be stoned if he touch the mountain of God or shot through. Whether it be beast or man, it shall not live. Even if one of your animals, even if your pet gets away from you and gets on this mountain, that pet is to be put to death because this mountain is so sacred. And notice this, when the trumpet soundeth long, they shall come up to the mount. And Moses went down from the mountain unto the people and sanctified the people and they washed their clothes. And he said unto the people, be ready against the third day. Come not at your wives. And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings, which we just read about in Revelation chapter eight and a thick cloud upon the mount and the voice of the trumpet 
exceeding loud so that all the people that were in the camp trembled. And maybe you've been somewhere where all of a sudden you heard not just a fire alarm, but maybe you heard a tornado alarm or maybe you were right next to the fire station when the alarm went off and it startled you, it scared you, it hurt your ears. The trumpet of God is blowing here and it is so loud that the entire camp is afraid. And Moses, verse 17, brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God and they stood at the nether part of the mountain and Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mountain quaked greatly. Now, some people have said, well, this must have been a volcano. You're missing the point. The reason the mountain is smoking is not because it's a volcano. The reason the mountain is smoking and burning is because the presence of God has descended and manifested. And just as the burning bush was reflecting the presence of God in speaking to Moses. So now the entire mountain is alight with the presence of God as he prepares to speak through Moses to the people. And notice verse 19. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by voice. Now let's just stop there for a moment. I want you to see that as the nation of Israel hears the trumpet that it is inexorably tied to the delivering of the law and how God spoke through Moses to the people. Trumpets were incredibly important. They were part, again, of the of the observance of the high holy days of Israel. They were used to warn Israel. They were used to instruct Israel, but also they were used to remind them of God's promises in the face of their enemies. In other words, there were times when the trumpet was to blow. For example, when they gathered around the city of Jericho, they marched around Jericho, they marched around Jericho, they marched around Jericho six times in six days. And then on the seventh day, seven times on that 13th trip around the city and they blew those trumpets and the walls came down. The trumpets are a reminder of God's power and of God's promises, but also reminders of God's holiness and God's sovereignty over everything. What are the significance of woes? We'll we'll talk um, in this part of the study on the three woes. The Greek word also translated in the uh, King James as alas. Sometimes you'll see the word woe. Sometimes you'll see alas. It means to grieve, and it means to denounce. I am grieving. Oh, alas, I despair. But also to denounce them. Something is is certain, and it's not pleasant. It is woeful what is coming. It's a word that Jesus frequently used when speaking to the Pharisees. Uh, I won't take the time to go to Matthew chapter 23 today, where Jesus repeatedly says to the Pharisees, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. I am pronouncing that your judgment is certain and it is tragic that you have chosen unrepentance. But these warnings are not just uh, or these statements are not just given to declare the hopelessness of the wicked, but they are also given as warnings to us not to follow their wicked ways. It's a word that shows up in the Hebrew in Isaiah chapter 5 a number of times when God says through the prophet Isaiah, woe to you who call what God says is evil and you say it's good. Woe to you who when God says something is good and you declare it to be evil, woe to you. There is no hope for you if you choose that path and do not repent of it. Your doom is certain if you do not repent. And God is warning us through the woes not to follow the wicked paths. 
Now, these trumpets and these woes, which we'll begin to unpack today, these trumpets and woes appear to finish at the midpoint of Daniel's 70th week. Remember that we are talking about the day of the Lord. We're talking about the uh, 70th week of Daniel. We're talking about the Great Tribulation. Those are three prophetic terms that are not synonymous. We, we mistakenly often use them interchangeably. They're not interchangeable. They're different. And so the Great Tribulation has begun with the uh, breaking of the seals. The, the Tribulation, I used to, uh, to misunderstand and think that was just the last three and a half years of, of, uh, of the Great Tribulation. And, and again, we get our terms confused in it, and it can be very um, uh, distracting for us when we're trying to understand Scripture when we use as synonyms things that are not synonyms. The Great Tribulation begins in Revelation chapter 6. The day of the Lord begins in Revelation chapter 6, or really now in Revelation chapter 8. The final, uh, see, the final sign of the great day of the Lord is the sixth seal which has broken. Now when we get into the trumpets in Revelation chapter 8, we are actually beginning the day of the Lord with the blowing of the trumpets. We don't know exactly when, because Revelation doesn't tell us, we don't know exactly in these chapters when the Antichrist signs the peace treaty with Israel, which Daniel 9.27 says is what will actually start the final seven years before the second coming. It's not the tribulation that starts Daniel's 70th week. It's not the day of the Lord that, that starts Daniel's 70th week. And it's certainly not the rapture that starts Daniel's 70th week. It is the signing, Daniel chapter 9, it is the signing of the covenant, the peace treaty uh, with Israel. It, Daniel says uh, that he will confirm uh, the covenant for seven years, but he will break the covenant in the midpoint. And so that first three and a half years, somewhere in Revelation chapter 6, the seven years, the final seven years has begun and as we go through these seven trumpets, we're looking at that, I believe, and we'll see this more uh, clearly as we get farther into the book. We're looking right now at that first three and a half year period where the 144,000 witnesses that we talked about two weeks ago are sent out as missionaries. We've seen the harvest of souls and tragically, we've seen the martyrdom of many of those converts in Revelation chapter six as well. Now we stand on the precipice of the day of the Lord and the blowing of the trumpet. Let me just say one more thing before we get in here, because I, I want to I try to anticipate uh, questions and address some things that that are commonly misunderstood. There are a number of good, well-intentioned Christians who confuse the seven trumpets of Revelation with the last trump of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 52. Let me just say briefly, we'll talk more about this as we look at that seventh trumpet, okay? But the seventh trump is not the last trump of 1 Corinthians 15, 52. Revelation had not yet been written when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, one of the earlier books of the New Testament to be written, Revelation, the last book, and Paul again says the last trump, indicating that he's speaking of a trump that all of the Corinthian believers would be able to point to and understand. He's pointing them to something, and he can't be pointing them to something that hadn't been written yet. He's pointing them to the last trump of Rosh Hashanah, because the term the last trump is an idiom for the feast of trumpets. In fact, the last trump is the second trump of three trumps. When you look at the seven high holy days, after you get through Passover, you have the feast of weeks. You have Pentecost. Pentecost was called the feast of the first trump. Then you have the Day of Atonement. That's called the Feast of the Great Trump. But then in the middle of those two, you have Rosh Hashanah. You have 
the Feast of Trumpets, which is called the Feast of the Last Trump. So you have the Feast of the First Trump, the Feast of the Last Trump, and you have the Feast of the Great Trump. The Feast of the, la of the Last Trump wasn't even the last of the feasts. Well, why is, you say, well, then why was it called the last? Because it was the last of the first two. The first and the last. Those two feasts were connected in ways that we'll get to. Well, I don't have time to, to dive into that today, but we'll get to that when we look at the seventh trump, okay? But I just want to tell you, the rapture has already taken place. The day of the Lord is God's wrath. It is beginning with God's wrath. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you are not appointed to wrath. Chapter 4 is the rapture. Chapter 5 is the wrath. Paul says, you're already out of here, guys, when wrath hits because you're not appointed unto wrath. And really, wrath has already begun in chapter 6 with the, with the breaking of the seals. Jesus breaking the seals of judgment. How can you say they're seals of judgment and not God's wrath? Well, you play um, gymnastics with the text to fit your pet theology respectfully. This is not the rapture passage. Um, so let's look at these trumps, these trumpets. Let's look at the first four trumpets. Let me read uh, verses 8 and following, or excuse me, chapter 8, verse 7 and following. The first angel sounded, and there followed hail and fire mingled with blood. And they were cast upon the earth, and the third part of trees were burnt up, and all green grass was burnt up. And the second angel sounded in it. As it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. And the third part of the creatures which were in the sea and had life died. And the third part of ships were destroyed. And the third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of water, which are the waters underneath the earth. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died of the waters because they were made bitter or poisoned. And the fourth angel sounded. And the third part of the sun was smitten. And the third part of the moon. And the third part of the stars. So as the third part of them was darkened. And the day, short, the day shone not for a third part of it. And the night likewise. So in these first four sequential judgments that begin the day of the Lord, first of all, the ecological emergency, hail and fire mingled with blood, destroying a third of all the trees on the planet, and something is going to happen atmospherically that the grass will be destroyed all over the earth. Just as God once turned the Nile to blood. So will he in this day turn the clouds to blood. They want to spray all their stuff in the atmosphere. They want to spray all their chemtrails. They want to control God's creation. God says, you want to mess with my atmosphere? I'll just turn it to blood. And it will rain blood in that day. These judgments, by the way, are judgments, you'll notice, these first four, against those who worship the earth and worship the sky. The United Nations has their Agenda 21. They have their green plan that they have bought up so many of our politicians to buy into this green plan. And God says, you think you're going to save the earth? You think you're going to save my planet? You think this earth belongs to you? Oh, you're stewards of it. We're to take care of it. We're not to treat it like a trash heap, okay? Christians should be uh, ecologically minded because we are God's stewards of His planet, but we're not the ones who are going to save this place. This place is in for some hell on earth. Those who have rejected the blood of redemption will receive the blood of God's wrath. Notice this second trumpet, the nautical nightmare that will result when a giant great mountain 
Um, how else would John describe what we would today call uh, an, at, uh, a, an asteroid hitting the planet like something out of a movie? And a third part of the sea becoming blood because of this mountain. Killing a third of all the sea life. Again, you're worried about, listen, I, I think what's, what's being done in the, in the waters and, and dumping pollution in the water, I think it's tragic and it's evil. But you understand that people who, again, worship the waters are going to see God's wrath poured out on the sea life, the tremendous death that will take place. And what's going to happen when this asteroid hits? I don't know which ocean it's going to land in, but it's going to hit one of them and it's going to create a tsunami of incredible force and devastation that is going to sweep the ships like toy ships in a tub and sweep them away. A third of them will be destroyed in this event. But it won't be the end of the world. It's not going to create an ice age. All of these evolutionary theories that people buy into and devote themselves to, God is going to begin dismantling them for the entire planet to see at one time in these judgments. Then there is not only the nautical nightmare, but the aquatic assault of Wormwood, a great star falling from heaven. I believe this is a fallen angel, not another asteroid, not a meteor. This is, I believe, because he is so named Wormwood, uh, named for a bitter plant. And because he is able to not just Im Im impact the, the ocean, but he's able to poison rivers all over the planet at the same time and waters beneath the ground at the same time that this is a spiritual entity that is attacking the earth and assaulting uh, the planet empowered to poison rivers streams around the water people are going to go to the well and they're going to think well i'm not on city water i'll be okay not knowing that their well has been poisoned until it's too late and many people are going to die because of the poisoning of the water and then of course the fourth trumpet the cosmic catastrophe of a third part of the sun being smitten, a third part of the moon, the third part of the stars. You say, what, it, what, what is going on? Here's, here's the point. As the second coming draws nearer, the days will grow shorter and darkner, darker, reflecting the darkness of men's heart. We've all watched movies about the end times. None of them have, I, I don't, none of that I have seen, let me say that, none that I have seen have, have come close to picturing what the actual world is going to be like in terms of the atmosphere. How could you? And let, well, you, now you could, I guess, with CGI and all of that. But I mean, the world is going to become darker and darker and darker. And Jesus said, unless the days were shortened, I believe that we're actually going to see that the days themselves become less than 24 hour periods. Uh, I can't prove that to you, but I believe that is a uh, literal rendering of what Jesus warned was going to happen because we know the number of the days can't be shortened because they're set in prophecy. But Jesus said unless the days were shortened, nobody would be left to redeem. Great cosmic catastrophe. And if that were not enough, now we begin the three woes. Look at verse 13. And I beheld and heard an angel. Now the Greek word is eagle. It's been, it's been translated as angel because the assumption is this is not an actual eagle, and I would certainly agree with that, but it's always dangerous when we try to... This is why I preach out of the King James and when I do my personal study, I, preach, I, I use the New King James. Um, I'm not telling you you can never use a paraphrase. Paraphrases can be helpful, particularly when we are working with kids, but I want to know what God's words are. I don't know what somebody thinks they mean. I want to know what God's actually said. I want a word-for-word -word translation as much as possible. I understand when you translate from another language, sometimes you have to account for idioms and figures of speech. I understand that. But I want to know what the word is because God chose a, an eagle for a reason in the Greek. God chose the eagle to be the symbol. There is an eagle that is 
flying here through the midst of the heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth by reason of the other voices of the trumpet of the three angels which are yet to sound. If you think it's bad now, God attacking nature, just wait till God turns from nature back to man. Woe, three woes that are coming. Now, this, um, this eagle sent throughout the world, the eagle throughout Scripture, sometimes, I say throughout, there are several times in Scripture where the eagle was used as a picture of God's protection. By the way, one of those was back in Exodus chapter 19 again, where we're told in Exodus chapter 19, Moses went up to God, verse 3, the Lord called unto him out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, tell to the children of Israel, ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a people a peculiar treasure unto me above all the people, for all the earth is mine. The use of the symbol of, of the eagle is again a reminder of the covenant that God had made with Israel, the promises that God had made to Israel, the deliverance that God had provided for Israel, that even as God rained judgment down on Egypt, He brought the people out. And He is reminding the world that even as I bring judgment down on the earth, I will preserve my nation. Israel will remain because that is my nation, God says. And my son is the king of that nation. And he will have a throne over which to rule from Jerusalem all the nations of the world. The eagle pointing us to that. Now, the eagle also uh, not only pictures God's protection. Sometimes it pictures also God's judgment, as in Micah chapter 1, verse 16, where he says, Make thee bald and pull thee for thy delicate children. Enlarge thy baldness as the eagle, for they are gone into captivity from thee. The eagle tied not only to God's protection, but also to God's judgment. But interesting, while the, while the eagle may symbolize the ministry of an angel, as in Ezekiel chapter 1, verse 10, where we see angels with the face of an eagle. This certainly could be an angel. But also, I would remind you, Isaiah 40, 31, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. This could be, could be an angel, or it could be one of the two witnesses. Did not... Elijah, take a ride on a chariot of fire. We don't know who the eagle is or who the eagle or what the eagle exactly represents. What we do know that God is warning the people of coming judgment. And that brings us to the fifth trumpet. The fifth trumpet. We're going to look in detail at this the next time that we come together. So I'm just going to touch upon these next two trumpets very quickly. But notice the fifth angel, chapter 9, sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven. Again, another fallen angel uh, pictured here as a falling star pointing back. Again, Wormwood, most likely a fallen angel. So this star fall from heaven unto the earth, fell from heaven unto the earth, and to him, him, was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of that pit as the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Friend, uh, Hades is beneath you. Say, well, that's just superstition. No, it's biblical revelation. You dig far enough, you dig deep enough, you're going to get where you don't want to be. Scientists can draw all the pictures they want of what the inside of the planet looks like. They do not know. That's all theory, because the farthest I think they've ever gotten was like five miles, maybe a few miles. They, they haven't even scratched the surface of the planet, and they want to tell you how everything looks inside based on their theories. I can tell you what is inside, down beneath you. It is the place of the dead. And an angel is going to be sent to unlock that place. And what is going to come out 
Verse 3, there came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth. Unto them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth, neither the green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Remember those 144,000? Only 144,000 are going to be spared. That means everyone else is going to be tormented. Everyone else. And to them it was given that they should not kill them, but that they should be tormented for five months. And their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he strike the man. You ever been, you ever been stung by a scorpion? Maybe some of you uh, go into anaphylactic shock when you get a bee sting. Imagine five months. The planet is going to be paralyzed by the torment of these entities. And in those days, it's going to, here's how bad it's going to be. In those days, men shall seek death and shall not find it and shall desire to die and death shall flee from them. Now, again, we'll look at this passage more closely, but I want you to understand the transcendental torment as these unholy beings are let out of solitary confinement, the worst of the worst. We have a really nasty prison in Crescent Town. Some of the some of the worst human beings on the planet are incarcerated there. I'm not even going to say some of the things that those people have been guilty of. And there they are. Drive by them almost every day. Can you imagine? These, the, these are not the worst of the worst murderers. These are the worst of the worst demons that are going to be unleashed. And they're not going to be allowed to kill people, but they're going to torment them and make them wish that they were dead. Friend, that's just the first woe. Verse 12 says, one woe is past, and behold, there come two woes more hereafter. What's the sixth trumpet? The second woe begins, and that is the supernatural slaughter of four more angelic beings. See, the first set of judgments are against those who worship the earth. These judgments are against those who worship the demon gods. And if you worship a God other than Jesus, you are worshiping a demon. Allah is a demon. The Hindus worship thousands and thousands of demons. That's not my opinion. That's what God's word says. First Corinthians chapter 10 says when the pagans are making their sacrifices to their false gods, Paul says they are worshiping demon spirits. It's what the sons of Korah record in the book of Psalms. It's what Moses wrote under inspiration of God in the Torah is that these false gods represent real demonic spirits. And God's going to unleash these particular four angels, which right now are chained and waiting this event. And again, we'll look more closely at this, uh, Lord willing, in a few weeks. But uh, the, the, the bottom line is, verse 18, by these three was the third part of men killed. And by the, do you understand? One third of the planet, of those who have survived all of this other hell on earth, these men are going to, or these angels, these angelic entities are going to come and slay one third of all men by the smoke and by the fire and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouth. I want to close with this. Notice verses 20 and 21 of Revelation 9. And the rest of the men which were not killed, two-thirds of the men who were not killed by these plagues, notice this, yet repented not of the works of their hands that they should not worship devils. False gods are devils, friend. Allah is a devil. And idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood, which neither can see nor hear nor walk. Neither repented they of their murders, nor of their sorceries, nor of their fornication, nor of their thefts. No repentance of the wicked. Most of those who will be saved after the rapture will be saved before the beginning of the day of the Lord. And most of those will be martyred. Now, there's still the 144,000 who are going out, given the message. There's still people in the, in the boondocks who are, are, who are going to be needing to hear the gospel and are going to get the gospel. But those who get saved, most likely it will be before 
the midpoint of Daniel's 70th week. Those who continue to despise God's judgments and ignore God's warnings, God will send, 2 Thessalonians 2.11, strong delusion that they should believe the lie. Now, I, wanna, I said I'll close with this. I'm not going to take the time to go to Hebrews. But Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4 tell us this. Listen to the Holy Spirit and do not harden your heart. You can memorize all of these judgments. You can know everything that God says and still not be ready for it. If you do not repent of your sin, admit that you are a sinner, believe that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died for your sin and rose again, and that if you call upon the Lord, you can be forgiven and you can be saved and you can have eternal life and you can have the hope that none of this is going to be part of your future. But if you ignore the warning, if you, ah, I'll just wait and see what happens. You just keep putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. Number one, you may not live to be tomorrow, you may, to see tomorrow. You may not live to make it till tomorrow. But even if you, even if you knew you were going to live another hundred years, if you don't know Jesus Christ, this is the future of the planet, and the future is coming fast. Don't harden your heart. And Christian... This is why we're getting involved in the crusade in September. This is why I preach the gospel every Sunday. This is why we'll preach the gospel again tonight. Don't harden your heart to the fact that the world needs Jesus or this is what awaits them. We need to get the message of the gospel out before it's too late. Say it's not too late for me may be too late for somebody that God has put in your life. Be the messenger God has called you to be. Let's stand as we close in prayer. God, these are very difficult chapters, but God, these are given to us as warnings of what judgment awaits. God, may your spirit have free reign among us. If there's somebody here today that don't know you, God, May this be the day where they admit they're a sinner, believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and call upon you to be saved. And God, maybe there's another need that, uh, that believers here have today. We, God, ask that your spirit would show us and convict us and encourage us and strengthen us. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. The altar's open. If you need prayer, our deacons are here. Our deacons' wives are available as well. Let's sing this hymn together as we close.
again, we praise you, we thank you, God. It is only because of your faithfulness, God, that we have hope. It's only because of your son's sacrifice and your son's victory and life that we can have eternal life. And so, Father, we give you the praise and glory. God, may we, in the midst of the trials we go through, God, remember the hope that we have. But, God, may we also remember the mission that you have called us to be part of, the Great Commission, God be salt and light to a lost and dying world. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. We invite you back tonight. You are dismissed. That's all for today. I hope this has made a positive impact in your relationship with Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior and you'd like to know how, give one of our pastors a call at 301-724-5876. We would love nothing more than to share the good news with you. If you've never joined us in person, we have services multiple times throughout the week that we would love to see you at. They are Sunday morning Bible study at 9.15 a.m., Sunday morning service at 10.30 a.m., Sunday evening service at 6.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. We also have opportunities for our students to gather. The youth group for grades 6 through 12 meets at 6 o'clock p.m. on Sundays, and our WANA program for 6th grade and under meets at 6.15 p.m. on Wednesdays. Again, we thank you for joining us today, and we hope to see you soon. But until next time, stay faithful.